0: I was with a friend yesterday who told me that he's beginning to train for a marathon. That's just crazy. Do we have many runners in the room? I am not. I'm not a runner. Uh, Not unless someone's chasing me, that's exactly what I was going to say. When's the last time you had to run from something? Today we're going to be in a story um, in the book of Jonah about a man who runs from God felt a need to run from God himself. Before we get there, I want to set up a little bit of where we're at uh, in this series. Last week, we set up a series in uh, the prophets. The prophets are people whom God appeared to. Uh, they're found in uh throughout the Old Testament in some stories, but there's a section of books called The Prophets in which God appears to people, has them go to primarily his nation Israel uh, to speak um, judgment against that nation, to invite them to repentance, and then to invite them to know salvation, to know hope. That God is offering to them, if they'll turn from their ways. Last week, as we talked about uh, the the prophets and the way we might read these, we identified this is an ancient text written to a people that is not us, uh, written to an Israelite nation who is in covenant relationship with God and falling short of covenant. Hence, the reason the prophets are coming to prophesy against them. Uh, We we spoke of the new covenant in in which we live with God, and these texts aren't speaking directly to us. However, there is a ton that we get to learn about God, about humanity, about ourselves as we dig into these books here for the next few weeks. So today we're in the book of Jonah, and the book of Jonah, it's interesting that our first prophet that we'll be doing in this series is a very distinctive one. Uh, This is not the way the prophets typically operate. You see, most of the books of the prophets are these anthologies, these collections of all of their preaching, all of their prophesying to the nation of Israel. But the book of Jonah isn't that at all. Instead, it's a story story of a prophet named Jonah. In fact, the the prophecy that he gives is one sentence. We get one sentence of prophecy in the entire book that we'll see in a few minutes. Instead, it's a story of a man that God calls, a man that God has purpose for and who attempts to run away from God, but in all the twists and turns isn't terribly successful in it. So this is narrative. Today we get to listen to the story of Jonah. There's some question in Christian history and church history as to whether the book of Jonah is a parable, like we find throughout Scripture, or if it's a factual event that happened in a time and a place. Um, I don't take a strong position either way on that. Some feel very strongly, and you're welcome to hold those opinions. Uh, Either way, this is a part of Israel's story that helps us better understand who God is and how God operates in this world. And in all of the confusion of, well, is this a factual event or not, and some of the very very heated debates that have taken place over that subject in our denominations and throughout Christian history, uh, sometimes we fail to, to, to really catch the point of the book. Because whether it's a parable or an actual event, there's a profound story of God and his intent in this world. So today I'm going to do something unique that we don't normally do. Typically, uh, in in a text like this, I would paraphrase it. But if you have a Bible, uh, please open it up. If you want to pull it up on your phone, do that. Uh, Or under the seats around you, there's Bibles uh, throughout the auditorium as well. I think it's worth seeing this book. Um, It's only two and a half pages in the Bible I'll be reading out of today. And in fact, I'm going to be able to read the text in its entirety. And the reason I want to do that is because uh, sometimes these gatherings can be about a message that someone gives from the front, but ultimately we're not here for that purpose. We're here for the purpose of gathering around Scripture. Uh, at the center of our gathering is God's Word, and we, we get to dig into it together and learn from it. Uh, from from all our perspectives, all our points of view, we get to Hold Scripture at the center. And, and so, to really illustrate that today, uh, you won't hear me uh, paraphrasing the, the tale, but instead reading the beautiful poetry that we find, the beautiful narrative, the beautiful story that we find in Scripture. So let's dig in. I'll be pausing after each chapter, and we'll be uh, covering uh, some of the significant points in the text today. Jonah chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to their own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship, but Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call upon your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who's responsible for making all of this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord uh, because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So the tale begins with this man named Jonah called by God to go and preach against an incredibly wicked city. And if we were to look back at at ancient history to know this Assyrian nation, we would find it vile. The way they captured nations and put bodies on stakes, it is a gross story and, and, and a disgusting nation. And so in a sense, Jonah is maybe even right to not want to go offer forgiveness, a new path to this this uh, city of Nineveh. But for right, right or wrong, we have God's intent clearly laid out in the text and Jonah planning not to participate in what God is doing by running the other direction. And I think it's really significant that we note in this text God's um, engagement, um, God's response to the wickedness of Nineveh. He says, their wickedness has, has come up before me, and so God responds by sending a prophet to try to turn it around. I think most of us, if we grew up in the church and have heard Old Testament Bible stories about God, have some perspective of a God who just wants to stamp out evil and, and responds you know, powerfully and harshly towards evil and corruption. And yet the story of Jonah found in our Old Testament scriptures uh, tells a very different story about God and his intent. When he sees evil, he moves towards to reconcile it, to change the circumstances and things happening. I think this is one of many places where um, if we grew up hearing the story of Jonah... We didn't hear the full thing. It's told quite poorly. And in fact, very few of us probably heard chapter 4 that we'll get to in a few minutes. So Jonah runs away. Uh, These sailors uh, show very interesting character. Uh, Instead of throwing him in to try to save themselves, they try to row to shore. the, the, The author of this tale tells of these people worshiping foreign gods yet showing good quality character traits right? Trying to save Jonah's life, even though theirs is on the line as well. Eventually, they throw him into the sea, and he's swallowed up by a fish, and he's in the fish for three days and three nights. Uh, There's a number of really interesting parallels to Jesus in this text, and I won't have time to get into a lot of them, but I do want to highlight them that maybe you see them, and and maybe as you go back and spend time in this book, you can draw some of these parallels. Uh, First, did you notice in verse 5, um, Jonah goes below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep? Do those words ring true to anyone else? There's a story of Jesus doing that exact same thing in the middle of a storm with his disciples. It's worded almost the same way. It, it's calling our attention to other stories. Uh, and and the story in Jesus' life certainly calls our attention back to what Israel would have known as the story of Jonah and this man. Uh, secondly, um, in this text, we see... Uh, uh, what is it? We see Jonah, uh, a parallel to Jesus in, Oh, well, let me see if I can find it. I'm going blank on it right now. Don't you love it when you think of two points and get so into one that you can't remember the next one? It just happened to me. Ah, three days. You got it. Yep. Thank you. Uh, so three days in the whale's belly uh, before he would then be kind of brought back to life. Again, a a, a parallel that we see playing out again in Jesus' life. Thank you. Chapter two, let's continue. Uh, Verse one, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. The roots of the mountains I sank, uh, to the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose up to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. We have in chapter 2 here this beautiful poem That Jonah writes this beautiful poetry that he writes to God. And it's so interesting to me that Jonah a moment ago, uh, days ago, is running from God as far as he can get from God's calling in his life. He then goes through the terror of a storm being swallowed by a fish, and now he is sitting in some sort of vile, stinky place inside of a massive fish. And what's Jonah's posture? It's turned towards praise, praising a God who is faithful even when he is not a God that would choose to rescue even him in his absolute rebellion. We catch a a glimpse of God's mercy and love throughout this text, whether it's sending a prophet to the Ninevites or the way God engages and, and, and rescues Jonah time and time again, we see the grace, the mercy of God demonstrated in this text. Jonah finds himself on dry land again, vomited up by a fish onto dry land. And in chapter 3, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and, and all of them, uh, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles. Do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let uh, people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. A one-sentence prophecy we find from Jonah, soon your city will be overthrown. What's fascinating is to see the character of the Ninevites, whom understand Israel would have absolutely despised a vile nation against God, uh, uh, committing all sorts of violence and evil in the world. I've heard it uh, uh, likened to um, the way we might feel about Nazi Germany and the extermination and all, right? Just vile things that we wouldn't even imagine wanting to, to see healed. Oh, have you ever found yourself so angry or so opposed to or disgusted by something that you wouldn't even want to see the mercy of God engage that place, that thing, that person? That's where we find Jonah, and fascinatingly enough, the character of these people is described very differently than what you would expect of incredibly wicked people. I don't know exactly what to make of it, but for some reason their repentance uh, is uh, very parallel to, very similar to the way Israel is supposed to be repenting. Uh, The the sackcloth and the mourning uh, and and the fasting, these are all traditions that Israel would use as they're turning back towards God. We see kind of glimpses of good in who's supposed to be the bad guy in the text. But what's interesting to me in the story of Jonah is Jonah is never the good guy. He's never the one on God's side. Uh, The sailors show stronger character. The Ninevites turn back to God. But Jonah is not doing that certainly as evidenced by chapter 4, which we'll read in just a moment. Many of us growing up heard this story, and it was really all about a fish, right? That that was the big thing. Or maybe we called it a whale, even though Scripture doesn't say it was a whale, right? Um, yeah, it was all about this fish that swallowed Jonah. Oh, but then Jonah went and did what he was supposed to, and then God saved the nation, and it was so good. But this story is so much messier than that. The story is so much deeper than that and calls us to consider so much more. Chapter 4, we close out the book. But to Jonah, this seemed wrong. That is, that God relented and didn't bring destruction. To Jonah, this seemed wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to, uh, that is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out to sit down in a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat down in the shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? But the Lord said, uh, I'm sorry, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, Jonah said, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals. And that's the end of the book. It ends with a question. It ends with animals. There's a lot of animals in the city. What in the world is this author doing ending a book like that? Okay, we'll get to the end in just a second as, as we kind of talk about the conclusion and, and what we might learn from this text. But there's a few other things worth touching base on uh, here in this part. To Jonah, God's mercy seemed very wrong. I don't think we're so much different than Jonah. Sometimes mercy is not what we hope for. Often we hope people get what they deserve when they've wronged us. Often we look at evil things in the world, and we just want to see judgment and fire called down on it. It's interesting. I think uh, God's character uh, is one of compassion and mercy. Throughout Scripture, throughout the Old Testament Scriptures, Israel is repeating this, God, you are merciful, you are compassionate, you're slow to anger, you offer forgiveness, That is the nature of God. Yet sometimes we think God is judgmental and harsh and angry, but the story of Scripture is that God is different than that. In fact, it's humanity that's often judgmental and angry and wanting retaliation and harm towards others. The character of God is told in Jonah and throughout Scripture is that of a compassionate and loving God, a God who sends hope even towards a wicked nation. Then we see this man, Jonah. He's the only one to express anger towards God. He's the only one to disobey God in the text. You see, everyone else from every nation is turning towards God in this text. And here's this man, Jonah, who's supposed to be the privileged one in relationship with God, the one through whom God is working towards the nations, and yet he's totally missing the boat. Well, he got on the boat, but then he got thrown off of it. That's distracting. Um, so here we find this man, Jonah, who's supposed to be on God's side, uh, just entirely outside of the will of God. And I think one of the things that's happening in this text is that this either parable or this experience that a prophet named Jonah had is is intended to be understood as a microcosm of the relationship God had with Israel. God had called the nation Israel to the other nations for the sake of other nations, and Israel missed the boat, right? They flee from God. They did their own things. They end up being swallowed up by the nations. Eventually, God vomits his nation back out to accomplish the purpose he had for them. Reluctantly, Israel will become the nation through which all nations are blessed, but that in the, in the birth, in the life, in the death and resurrection of Jesus, born into the nation of Israel. You see, what we have in Jonah is a story about the nation of Israel who's in rebellion, and yet a God who is compassionate and for the nations, wanting to bring reconciliation and healing where evil exists in this world. Three times in the text, I think right here, it uses the word provided. There was a provided earlier. It said, God provided a fish to swallow Jonah. But here in this text, three times God provides. First, he provides a plant. Jonah is out sulking. He's angry. He's watching, hoping fire rains down on Nineveh. And God provides a plant to shade him and to comfort him. That sounds like God, a God who provides something for the comfort of another. But then interestingly, the text uses the same word, provide. We're in verse 8 or so here. Um, God uses the word provide. Uh, He provides a worm to destroy that plant. And then he provides a scorching wind. What is God's provision in those things? They're bringing suffering to Jonah in some respect. You see, God's provision revolves around a truth he is wanting to reveal to this prophet. And God will use a worm and he will use a a scorching wind that Jonah might learn God's character. That Jonah might learn who God is, compassionate and loving. A God that wants to forgive and wants to bring his loved creation back into his presence. Uh, God is teaching him with this plant. Uh, Jonah, look at you all angry about a plant that you didn't spend any time cultivating or growing up. And yet you're angry that you don't have it. And what God is saying is this nation, I created these people. And I care deeply for them. And I desire To show mercy towards them. So I have so so God has sent Jonah to prophesy to them that they might repent, and in fact they do, and God's destruction does not come on them, at least at this point in history. The story of Jonah, a microcosm of Israel running from God. The story of Jonah, a man, a prophet of God, angry about God's mercy. And the book of Jonah. That ends with a question. This is my favorite part of the book. It it ends without any conclusion. So, what does that do for us as readers of this text? It it didn't come to a conclusion. It it maybe it didn't even make its full concluding point. And I think partially that's because the conclusion is to be lived, it's to be experienced. It's a story that goes on, that we're invited into by the fact that it doesn't close off at the end. It doesn't, it doesn't end. It doesn't tie up all those loose ends. It's a question posed to us, one that we get to explore and live into and, and in community try to better understand the nature of God. The text ends with this question that we get to wrestle with for a lifetime. Is it right for God to be compassionate? In our own lives, many of us have learned to be very grateful for God's compassion. And we would say, yes, it is right. And I am so thankful for God's love and compassion. But quite often when we look out at other people as Jonah looks at Nineveh, we don't desire that same compassion we don't desire God to lean in in the same way for others that he has leaned in for us, but we know from this text that is the nature of God. We are invited in this text to look beyond ourselves and to see a world that God created and desperately cares about. And as we begin to answer these questions for ourselves, is it right that God is loving and compassionate if we're able to come to the conclusion Yes, that is right. That is God's nature. Then it is certainly our invitation as followers of Jesus to live into that same kind of compassion and love in the world around us. And that is not an easy thing. Many of us, like Jonah, will go kicking and screaming. We might have to be vomited onto a shore and then God kind of force our hand. But God's a God of love and compassion. And maybe we'll feel that scorching wind and be reminded yeah, it is my place to be compassionate and loving as my God has been compassionate and loving towards me. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day, for this time, uh, for a text that uh, is so vast, we, we hardly get to scratch the surface of its significance, but God, thank you for a story um, of Jonah, of Israel, of, of us at times in our lives. As we flee from you, God, thank you that you have chosen us, that you have invited us to know your compassion and your love, and thank you that we get to walk in community uh, to further understand your love and compassion for us. Teach us, God, to have your eyes as we look out at this world. God, may we be a people that instead of running from your plan for us, uh, participate in carrying it out. God, that we would be your hands and feet of compassion and mercy in this world. God, humble us. God, teach us. God, make us into your image. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.